All right, guys. And next guest is arguably the king of MMA analysts at this point. You know, his excellent work on his channel, Full Reptile, where he gives the best analyst work, the best fight previews, the best fight reactions. And we even see now you're doing live streams during pay-per-views, as well as, of course, his great work on BT Sport with the Dan Hardy Breakdown Show. He is kind enough to join us once again to help preview UFC 262, the one and only Dan Hardy himself. Welcome back, man. How are you? I'm good. It's always good to see you guys. Yeah, it's good to have you as well, man. And I feel like we're slowly working our way through the Dan Hardy mansion. It looks like we're in the backroom castings uh, office right now, which is good. And uh, before we go, before we jump into the card, Dan, um, just quickly, I know a lot of people uh, wondering what's the latest with you. If there any other any updates on a potential fight coming up, a potential opponent? I know last time you had a list for us. This time you're on the show. A potential opponent in Diego Sanchez is now gone from the UFC. Nick Diaz is still on his way back into the UFC. Do you have any updates at all that you could give us or anything that's happened since we last spoke you can share with no, us? No, I, I wish I did. The only thing that's happened is I've asked I've asked two different people for my release from the UFC. Because um, obviously with one contract coming to an end, it makes sense for me to, to, you know, to, to leave with my fight contract as well. So... I'm currently trying to get my release from the UFC so then I can start looking at other places. Um, I've, got, I've got a few ideas and a few options that I'd like to consider. But I, it's just getting a hold of someone. I, I, don't, I might have to recruit Joshua Fabia to uh, <laughs> get someone's attention at some point. Oh, geez. Joshua Fabia becoming uh, a mainstream MMA manager. Can you imagine that? Just quickly, uh, so it sounds like you've completely sort of given up on the UFC giving you a fight because I know last time you mentioned you were keen on fighting and you were trying to get in contact back then with someone to try and get a fight together. At this point, are you just sort of given up on the UFC actually giving you an opponent? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think even if it got to the stage where I could get the UFC to give me an opponent, it's not going to be one of the ones I want. It's not going to be a... You know, they're not they're not matching veterans with veterans anymore. They're matching veterans with the new guys coming up so they can they can build the next name. And I'm just I'm not interested in fighting someone that doesn't that nobody knows, you know, like Cowboy Matt Brown. You know, they, they, they would never in a million years give me the Nick Diaz fight. You know, they'll use Nick Diaz to build somebody else up. And I just I just don't want to be in that situation. Plus, my, my fight contract is what, eight? eight years old so you can imagine the, the numbers on it it's uh it's, it's for 500 dollars to appear 500 dollars to win <laughs> yeah. right you have to pay yeah. for your accommodation that's at it. the end you owe them ten thousand dollars and somehow i end up owing them money i've I never figured out how it works mm, okay so when you look at the the land and i guess you know the the scene outside of the ufc is there anyone that kind of gets you particularly interested or is it the promotion specifically that you're interested in that you're looking at no, nowhere in particular. I mean, you know, I'd love to fight in Japan. I've always been a big fan of Japan, you know, rising one one championship are doing amazing things. I actually think that'd be a great place for uh, for Diego to go. You know, uh, they've got Shinya Aoki floating around there that's had what, 47 wins on his record. I'd like to see Diego against Aoki. That'd be an interesting one. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm just, as soon as, as soon as that UFC door closed, so many other doors opened, and different options, you know, not even just MMA. I've, I've got other other things I, I would consider as well. Um, and it's the, the the world's much bigger than I, that than I actually realised. I think um, so. So now I've started looking at these other organisations and and different weight classes as well. I mean, 
I could I could jump into some of these at middleweight and light heavyweight and, and fancy my chances. Ooh. You know, we'll see what happens. Nice. Well, you mentioned Diego. Is that someone that you would be interested in now that I guess both of you guys would be outside of the, the, the promotion? You know, I, I don't know what's going on with Diego. I've, I've actually been chatting back and forth with him a little bit on a private messenger. Or rather, I, you know, I assume it's him. I, 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 I don't actually know whether it is or not. Mm. <laughs> um, but... You know, I, I don't. I've not really got any interest in fighting fighting Diego. I don't really think anybody should have a great deal of interest in fighting Diego. I think him and Cowboy would have been the ideal fight for both of them to hang the gloves up, and it's a shame that that didn't happen. Um, but I don't know. I think Diego's in such a such a such a stark place in his life right now that any any further punches from someone like me is only going to exasperate the situation. I think he needs to get his head right first. Mm. Just out of curiosity, when you guys are chatting sort of uh, through DMs, like what what is the general context? Who who contacted who? Um, well, he started tagging me in his stories. I'm not exactly sure what, what the thought process behind that was. Um, but I've just been asking him, you know, we, we've just been kind of going back and forth. I've asked him a couple of questions about things that, uh, that I've seen them doing, you know. I mean, obviously, this hanging upside down, getting slapped around the head thing's been been doing its rounds on the internet and and I asked him you know what that was about and his whole thing is that you know everything's being taken out of context and the narrative's being pushed so I tried to explain to him that you know by 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 filming these things you're only supporting that narrative anyway and maybe the rest of the MMA world is actually seeing something that's correct instead of the, you know they're being told a story he, he, he just he seemed a little bit lost to me and, and I think I think they're. I think it's a codependent relationship. I think they're both mm. a bit lost, and I think they're leaning heavily on one another, and they feel like the world's against them now. And I think paranoia is circling, and I don't think it's good for either of them. And the MMA world being on top of them is not helping. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to watch, especially a guy like Diego Sanchez, who I think all of us have such a soft spot for because he was there at the start. So mm. you. You hate to see it finish like this, at least for now, and hopefully he can come back around and figure things out. Now, Dan, let's talk about UFC 262, though, because we have some fun fights coming up this weekend. And before we get stuck into Oliveira and Chandler, i got to find out, man, will you be doing a live stream this for this weekend's uh, UFC 262 card? Yeah, we will. Yeah, I'm looking mm. forward to it. So it's, it's a new show that we started up called The Ride Along. Um, we'll probably be kicking off a couple of fights before the... Uh, before the main card starts, there's some re really good fights on this card. So I, I think we'll probably do six or seven fights. Um, but then, you know, obviously the, the, there are other events going on here and there as well. So we'll we'll try and pick up some of them at the same time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a great show. I, I'm looking forward to doing the next one. We had such a laugh on the last one, but I need to try and sleep a bit more during the day because okay. we're, we're broadcasting at like four or five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that why you're wearing the sunnies to, to hide the, uh, the the bags under the eyes? It's these lights, man. It's these uh, lights. Yeah. You know, after a few hours, I start getting headaches from them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. A few, few pairs of shades helps. People don't know this, but we've literally got like two massive, massive lights beaming on our faces right now. So we, we feel you there. But look We're at, basically blind, Dan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but looking at this fight, man, fascinating fight between Oliveira and Chandler. I mean, we know Chandler is, you know, very, very explosive, very good wrestler. But you got to think he's not going to be too keen to take Oliveira down too much or wrestle him, you know, to avoid the dangerous ground game, which means it may kind of negate the threat of Chandler's takedowns and some of those feints, maybe even take away some of the tools on the feet. So 
if you're Oliveira, you're probably going to come forward, but also try and stay on the outside, avoid Chandler's, Chandler's huge power. How do you think the striking plays out uh, between the two of them? Um, you know, I think Chandler's going to do what, what he always likes to do. I think he wants to push forward and, and keep his opponent circling, you know, towards his lead hand. Um, he kind of does the reverse of what McGregor does. He forces him in the opposite direction, away from his power punch, exactly the same as he did against Dan Hooker. Um, and I think he's going to try and do that against Oliveira. You know, he's got a low, a low, strong stance. He jabs hard. You know, he pushes his way in behind a good jab. And, and his, his right hand is absolute dynamite. You know, and we've seen in recent fights as well, obviously, you know, in, in the hook fight and in his rematch against Ben Henderson, that he's he's ambidextrous. You know, he's now punching from both sides and doing just as much damage. Um, so I, I still think he's going to be just as aggressive as normal. I wouldn't be surprised if he also mixes in some takedowns as well. I, I think Chandler's going to feel like he can contend everywhere with, with uh, Oliveira. And I think the main thing he's going to want to do is not allow Oliveira just to kind of dictate the pace and, and pick at him. You know, Chandler's a, a, a supremely conditioned athlete, but he's much more of a power-based fighter than, than Oliveira, who could just pick him off at a distance and, and you know, get very frustrated, you know, at range for him. Um, so it's going to be speed covering distance. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he also wrestles in this one, which might surprise some. Do you think Chandler, maybe not prefers, but kind of enjoys fighting these longer guys? Like, I know when we spoke to Alex Okonofsky, um, and I've heard many times... Well, sometimes you got that low stance, you're a little bit shorter, you can break into that distance and you can throw those shots. We saw with the Dan Hooker fight. It, it's good for a guy with with a skill set like Chandler's. Do you think he enjoys sort of fighting these taller fighters? I do, yeah, because I think he I think he finds it easy to back them up against the fence. Um, you know, I mean, an extreme version is Stefan Struve. You, you always see him backed up against the fence, getting getting punched over the top with big overhands. I think the way that Chandler moves and, and the way that he forces people up against the fence and then, you know, the, the speed and, and directness of his of his straight punches, I think it benefits him to be able to kind of punch up into the fence a little bit. Um, so he, I mean, you know, he, he's just, he's got such fast footwork covering distance in a straight line and, and a deceptively long reach as well. I know he's going to give up maybe a couple of inches in this one, but he covers so much distance based on his front foot and the speed that he's able to to pick that up and, and move forward. Um, I, I think he's going to be too quick for Oliveira. That's why he needs to control the pace so he can step in and out of range instead of just being on the end of Oliveira all the time. Because the reality is Oliveira is not going to be defending takedowns. Mm. If Chandler shoots, Oliveira would defend a takedown to the point where he can get the net clear. And then he's looking at, you know, at, at guillotines and anacondas. Um, so I, I, I think that uh, I think Chandler being on the front foot and being aggressive is actually probably the, the safer thing for his uh, submission defense because he can just drive through those submission attacks and get the legs out to the side. It's interesting that you mention that because it will be very fascinating to see what happens if the fight hits the ground, especially if Chandler does get this takedown. Oliveira kind of goes with it and we start seeing this battle of Chandler on top and Oliveira trying to get into position to throw up a submission or maybe get a sweep or get on top or work his game plan. And when you think about that matchup, you keep thinking about how good Oliveira really is, but Chandler's no slouch at being able to avoid dangerous positions himself. When you kind of think about how that plays out, do you think Oliveira allowing for the fight to hit the ground could be a detriment as well, if, especially if uh, Chandler is able to control the fight down there and avoid those uh, dangerous submissions? Well, I think the wrestling approach and the conditioning from, from Chandler could be quite exhausting for Oliveira. 
Um, you know, we, we know our, we know how good Oliveira is, and I, you know, I've picked him a few times to become the UFC lightweight champion. The more I've got into my research, the more I feel like this is a very, very evenly matched fight. And they are very different fighters. There's no doubt about it. You know, Chandler's got a, a really good handle on on wrestling. He's very good at controlling people up against the fence. And, you know, the, these tall, rangy guys, he, he does a good job of folding them up in, into the corner and making it very claustrophobic for them. Whilst at the same time, you know, the power that he's got on the feet, he's also got when he's ground and panning as well. Um, and... The, the thing with Charles Oliveira, he's he's an excellent fighter while ever the fight's going in his direction. But as soon as it starts to get to get deep in the trenches, you know, he gets a bit bloodied and he's starting to fatigue. That's, and, and I'm not saying he doesn't have this in him, but we've just not seen him. He, you know, he's never done five rounds, whereas Chandler, we've seen him do five rounds, you know, multiple times in Bellator. Um, and, he, and we've seen him come through some really rough fights as well. I mean, he, his first fight with Eddie Alvarez mm. was, was a really back and forth battle. Um, and it, it just shows if this becomes a war of attrition, we've we've seen Chandler proven. Whereas you know with with Oliveira we haven't. Um, so you know so I think pace and and uh, aggression in in every range for for Oliveira for Chandler is going to be beneficial. And if you think you know, although Oliveira is an absolute whiz on the ground, we, we've seen him submitted a couple of times. You know he's, he's been guillotined a couple of times. If he gets tired, he gets vulnerable. And if he's being wrestled to death. He might get tired quicker than he's expecting. Yeah. Um, it's interesting here that you sort of picked him as champion a while ago because he was always very talented, but his, his results were also very inconsistent. You know, he kind of alternated between wins and losses. He lost big fights. He missed weight numerous times. He had to move to lightweight. Um, now he's on this incredible eight-fight win streak, you know, with almost all finishes. His striking looks more dangerous than ever. You know, as as... You are the perfect guy to ask, Dan, because of all the research you've done. What would you say is the biggest difference uh, between the Oliveira now compared to the Oliveira that was, you know, kind of, it felt like he was treading water a few years ago. Yeah, I honestly think it's the weight class, you know, and I think that we're going to see this more and more as the years pass by. I think, I think the, the, the Oliveira that was at, at 145, there was a psychological dependence on being the taller, rangier guy. I, and I think that he felt like moving up to 155, he was moving into a bigger pool with bigger fish and, and he might not be able to contend. And I think, you know, we saw the same thing with, with the likes of Anthony Smith and Thiago Santos when they moved up. You know, it, it takes them a moment and all of a sudden they realize that not only do they feel great, but that transfers into really good performances. Uh, and, you know, and you, you're correct. You know, we saw him be a, a fantastic jiu-jitsu player all the way through his featherweight career. But then in recent fights, he's turned a corner with his striking. And, and you can see the same controlling mentality when he's when he's striking to finish as well. You know, his rematch against Nick Lentz, you know, he, he catch his foot, caught him with a right hand down the pipe. And then as he landed, he caught his foot again to control him for, uh, from the scramble while he was continuing the ground and pound attack. It's, it, you know, I just think he's turned the corner both technically and psychologically. I think he believes in himself now. I think he believes in himself as a, you know, as the best light, lightweight in the world. And, you know, his striking skill set to complement his grappling is only going to make him more dangerous. Yeah, it's it's the added confidence, the upgraded skill set and the belief in himself. And before we get your prediction for this fight, Dan, if you yourself are looking to upgrade your skill set, add a set of smooth balls to the equation with Manscapes Lawnmower 3.0, whether you're out grappling and you got somebody in North, South, or maybe you're just going in on a hot date, or maybe you're sitting on the couch watching fights, uh, listening to Dan Hardy's live stream that accompanies uh, hopefully UFC 260 
2 pay-per-view. You want to do it with some smooth balls and Manscaped. Lawnmower 3.0 is the best grooming tool on the market. You can shave anything on your body. Uh, 7,000 RPM motor. You've got the LED light so you can do it in the dark. It's also waterproof to so do it in the shower. And the good friends at Manscaped, they've got a lot of other products, all other colognes that will keep you smelling nice and fresh and groomed. And they're giving away 20% off with the code SUBMISSION to save you a couple of bucks during these trying times. Isn't that right, Dennis? That's right, man. They're the best. And Cass, I have a new sponsor alert. That's right, guys. New sponsor alert. Surfshark VPN is now working with Submission Radio to get you guys sort of down here in Australia and New Zealand or wherever you are around the world. Now, there's no secret, Cass. Down here, it's a little bit like the dark ages when it comes to getting your TV shows and movies. No more. With Surfshark VPN, you guys can get an 83% discount and an extra three months for free. That's right, 83% discount and then three extra months for free. And by the way, if you're wondering, all right, well, why do I need a VPN for? I can wait 25 years to watch the latest movies here in Australia. <laughs> all right, maybe you can. But you, what about the NFL, the NBA, the boxing, the Cornhole Championships, if you're a pro wrestling fan, AEW Dynamite? Or what about your favorite movies and TV shows on HBO Max and that can't be accessed in Australia or New Zealand? And don't forget about those old discontinued shows like Jersey Shore, which can't be found for various <laughs> reasons and probably for good reasons. But still, you're bored. You want to watch it. You can't find it in Australia. Boom. Surfshark gets you sorted. And also, don't forget, these guys give you a 30 days money back guarantee. So if you guys don't like it, you can get your cash back, but you can book it in with confidence. Go to surfshark.deals forward slash submission and enter promo code submission for the crazy, crazy, crazy 83% discount and three extra months for free. You guys will be sorted. And just quickly, Cass, a quick shout out to our friends at The Ridge. You guys can jump on The Ridge right now. That's ridge.com forward slash submission. Use the code word submission. Get 10% off and free worldwide shipping and returns on their amazing range of wallets, on their amazing range of bags. These guys have the best quality stuff, 40,000 five-star reviews on their wallets and a lifetime guarantee. Make sure you go to theridge.com forward slash submission and use code word submission now. But Dan, um, going back to the fight, Oliveira, I mean, he's got some great kicks on him. And with that low stance that Chandler brings into it and Oliveira trying to keep that distance, you'd think he'd be throwing that kick out, trying to damage Chandler's legs, especially if he doesn't mind being taken down, Dan. So it's going to be fascinating to see if he can actually get some damage done with that. But looking at the fight itself, I mean, you mentioned how evenly matched up these guys are and how you've sort of seen him as championship material for a while in Oliveira. Who are you leaning towards winning this one? You know, if you'd have asked me maybe a week ago before I really got into my my back catalogue of Chandler, I watched his whole Bellator back catalogue. Mm. Um, if you'd have asked me a week ago, I'd have said I'd have said I'd probably lean in, you know, 65, 70% towards Oliveira because I just see so many different ways for him to win. You know, I, I've seen Chandler get tired. I've seen him get cut. I've seen him get knocked down in the first round against Pitbull. You know, I, there are lots of ways I've seen I've seen Chandler vulnerable, and I can see ways in which Oliveira can find those ways into his game. You know, long range striking, picking him off at distance, bloodying him up, forcing him to shoot when he's not comfortable shooting, and then running straight into a neck attack. You know, they're the obvious ones that I can see from Oliveira. But then at the same time, the speed at which Chandler moves could nullify everything that Oliveira does. You know, Oliveira stands very upright, and you're correct; he's got great kicks. You know, that really good teep to the midsection from the back leg and also a good high kick. Uh, you know, so 
I think it's wise for him to be throwing them because if anything, they can slow Chandler's aggression, you know, that, that forward push coming in. But Chandler's, Chandler's jab cross it is, it is lightning fast. Even in slow-mo, it's fast, as, as the commentators said on the, <laughs> on the replay of his pitbull knockout. That, that's going to be difficult for Oliveira to deal with because for, for, as, uh, for as much as he's matured and grown into this weight class, I still definitely think there's a, a speed disadvantage for him uh, when, when he's facing Chandler. Before we get off this, this, so yeah, I was going to say before we get off this fight, uh, I want to run a theory by you. Dan, uh, not Dan Hardy, Dan Hooker was on the show a while ago and he had a pretty, uh, I guess, clear theory as far as why the Tony Ferguson Oliveira fight played out the way it did. He felt like, you know, Oliveira historically has been a guy who kind of uh, maybe he crumbled under the pressure uh, it got to him. And he felt like the lack of crowd benefited him uh, from a psychological and mental standpoint. His two best performances came at the apex with no crowd. So I'm wondering, now that it's going to be in Houston, now that the crowd is going to be back, how do you think he sort of handles uh, you know, that? Not that it's the first time he's fought in front of a crowd, but it's such a big moment, such a big stage. The crowd is back. There's a lot of sort of X factors because I feel like if he can get it done, then um, this, is, this is a big moment for him. He kind of, you know, for for one of the first times in a, such a massive fight in his career, he um you know he, he can potentially knock a home run. I mean you know it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting concept. I, I think it's I think in my opinion it was far more of a technical advantage against Tony Ferguson than a psychological one. I think the psychological advantage has has already been gained from his move to lightweight and his success. Now, this win streak that he's put on, if, if it's not proved to everybody else that he's deserving of a title shot, it's definitely proved to Charles Oliveira that, it, that he's deserving of one. Um, and you think back to that Kevin Lee fight, you know, that was the first that was the first event where there was no crowd, but that had only changed during fight week. You know, he, he went all the way up to maybe three days before the event, before that was changed and it became an, a no crowd event. I, I don't think it would have changed anything at all. You know, I, I think it would have been the same performance against the same version of Kevin Lee. I just thought he was better than him. And I think, you know, when you look at when you look at Charles Oliveira against Tony Ferguson, for for as for as good as Tony Ferguson has been considered as a grappler, and this is by by no means you know to to disrespect Tony Ferguson, Tony's a great wrestler with jiu-jitsu finishers. What we saw when he faced Oliveira is that he doesn't have a jiu-jitsu foundation, and this is something that. You know, you get quite consistently from the, you know, the Tenth Planet guys. You know, Tenth Planet. I'm a, I'm a purple belt and ready Bravo. It's, it's not a complete system. You know, there are pieces of it that work really well in MMA, but the best guys that that have done well with the Tenth Planet system are guys that have already got, you know, a, a basic black belt from somewhere else. You know, a Gracie Barra style. This is how you shrimp. This is how you bridge. This is an elbow knee escape. We didn't see any of that from Tony Ferguson against Charles Oliveira. And, and I know we're going to move on to that, I'm sure, in, in a moment. But I think Benil Dariush does the same thing to Tony Ferguson. Mm. I think there's, I think the advantage is the wrestling in Tony Ferguson's game. But when it comes to straight jiu-jitsu, he just couldn't contend with, with Charles Oliveira. You know, he didn't have jiu-jitsu answers to jiu-jitsu problems. And he couldn't wrestle his way out because he was already stuck to a stuck on his back. I think he might find himself in the same situation with Benil Dariush. You know, sometimes we, we mistake good jiu-jitsu players for guys that are good wrestlers that have got, you know, submissions to bolt on the end of them. And it's not quite the same thing. I mean, you know, Chandler's a, a great wrestler. He's got good jiu-jitsu finishes that bolt on the end of it. But his jiu-jitsu doesn't compare to, to Oliveira, which is why he's going to have to use pace 
and you know uh, conditioning and pressure and ground and pound to even the balance. And again, you know, against Oliveira, Tony just didn't have the opportunity to do any of those things. Mm, a lot of great points made there, Dan. We'll come back to that when we talk about the Tony fight in just a second. Um, but just quickly, while we're talking about the lightweight pictures, it's safe to say in your mind that the winner of Dustin and Connor is the next title fight, next title fight for the, whoever wins this weekend. I mean, it makes sense. You know, we, we've got to we, we've got to get Justin Gaethje back in there somewhere because mm. you know you, you you think what he did to Tony Ferguson and the streak he was on. You know, it, 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 who, who's going to compare to to Khabib? That's the problem that we've got, and that's the danger with. You know, from the UFC's perspective as a promotion, if they now put Justin Gaethje in there and he wins the belt, it's just not worth the same because, you know, because everybody's already seen him getting beat by Khabib. Um, that, that's the problem with a champion retiring undefeated or retiring with the belt around his waist. And the UFC hate it because that immediately devalues the belt. You know, same thing when GSP came back and grabbed the middleweight belt. You know, he picked it up, dropped it again, and now the the belt's just devalued. You know, it would devalue the belt if Justin Gaethje got it right now, and I think the UFC know that, which is why they're trying to steer him away from it. But he's he's more than deserving, just like all these other guys. Do you think if Dustin won the belt, that would devalue the belt because Khabib had such a dominant performance against him as well? You know, the, the, honestly, the, this is why neither of these guys are getting an opportunity because the, because the 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 only way that this belt cannot be immediately devalued is by having someone win it that's not lost to Khabib, which is why we've got Oliveira against against Chandler. I mean, you know, neither of those guys have, been, have lost to Khabib. So the fans don't have that picture in their mind of the new lightweight champion getting strangled and dominated by by the former retired great. You know, if, if, although, you know, if you, if you put that belt over McGregor's shoulder or Poirier's waist or Gaethje's waist at this point, Everyone sees the same thing. They they just see Khabib dominating them, and that belt's not worth as much. Mm. I, I am curious. Who do you think will be facing the winner of uh, this weekend's fight between uh, McGregor and Poirier? I know you're going to do an in-depth breakdown uh, sort of further down the track. The fight is down the line. But if we're sort of taking sort of er early feels, do you think Connor can make the necessary adjustments, or do you think Dustin will kind of uh, you know prove that he's just at a point in his career where he's he's I guess surpassed McGregor? Um, I, I think I think it's I think it's a very competitive fight, and the only reason that I'd, I'd lean slightly in McGregor's direction is because we've seen him regroup and change. You know, the 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 the, the changes, the shifts, the the regrouping in Poirier's career has always been down to will and determination, and I'm just going to double my work rate and be twice as conditioned and be more aggressive. Whereas McGregor's, he's he's found technical solutions to problems, so I, I can see him. And you know that that's burning in the back of his mind. He can be sitting in his fancy shorts on his sunbed drinking proper 12 <laughs> all he likes. But every morning he wakes up and looks himself in the mirror. He remembers that moment where he's lined up against the fence on the floor with uh, with Poirier walking away. That's the kind of thing that eats away at him. And I, I, I can only imagine McGregor's got a thousand and one different ways to, to deal with Poirier. I still think it's very, very competitive. Um, but, but I'm leaning slightly towards McGregor just based on how he approaches the game. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you reckon that's uh, why we, we're seeing some odd, I suppose, social media posts from Conor from time to time? It's starting to sort of sink in what happened in that rematch with Poirier? Yeah, I, th I think so. I, I think so. I mean, he, he's, he's always done so well off the back of a defeat as well. You know, he, you know the, the, the Nate Diaz thing didn't touch him at all. 
Um, and I don't even think the, the Khabib thing, I don't think he lost a great deal of face in that. He's always got a good way of kind of salvaging um, his reputation and, and stirring the fans back up again. Um, but th- there might be a bit of stirring internally this time around. You know, it, 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 the reality is if he falls to, to Poirier a second time in the same way, you can't convince the fans you're the baddest man on the planet because people have got too many recent memories of you losing twice to the same person. So th- there's a lot of weight on his shoulders coming into this one. It's, it's same reason why we've not got the Nate Diaz rematch, you know? Like, they've got one-on-one, but your lasting memory is McGregor getting his hand raised, mm. you know? Th- there's there's a risk of him losing twice to that individual as well. So I, I think he's picking and choosing his, his opponents very wisely. And, you know, he's got he's got big, bo- big you know, big businesses riding on his reputation and on his brand so he does need to consider to keep that intact a little bit and getting knocked out again by Poirier's he's not going to do him any favors let's put it that way mm. speaking of high stakes and uh, a lot of importance on the next fight I mean obviously Tony Ferguson is it somewhat of a career crossroads here against Benil Dariush now you mentioned before what you're sort of kind of expecting from this fight but I want to run another theory but uh, past you obviously we've heard Khabib a long time ago Mystic Khabib predict that Tony mm-hmm. Ferguson he felt was done and he'll never be the same after the gate he lost just based on how much damage he took in the fight um, mentally knowing that he's on a two fight skid knowing there's a lot on the line as far as him remaining uh, a future title contender how do you think that plays on Tony's mind and uh, how much of a factor do you think it is in, in the fight uh, if, if at all you, you know something. You know something that's apparent with with these guys. And Tony Ferguson's a perfect example of this. And Diego Sanchez is is another ex- excellent example of this. And and this this is why. And just as an alternative example, this is why someone like Uriah Faber always stands out in my mind, because Uriah was already putting things in place for when he retired. He already had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to open a gym. He's going to do this. He's got several businesses going. Tony Ferguson, Diego Sanchez, they're all in. They're, that's why we love them because they're lunatics. They're all <laughs> in. But there, there comes a point when you, you know, you start, you know, the, the, the wheels on your gears, the, you know, the wheels on your on your uh, on your machine start to grind a bit, and mm. you start to slow down, and you've not got to that belt. And you know, Tony's still carrying around that old belt. You know, you can tell what how much it means to him to to have been almost a UFC champion. It it burns him so much. And now there's this panic setting in that now he's got two losses in a row. He's slipping further away from the title. That pressure does weigh on his mind. And I don't think he's, same as, as Diego, I don't think he's, he's in a space psychologically where he can deal with that very well. Um, you know, I think him going and training with Freddie Roach is a great idea, but I've trained with Freddie myself. I don't, I don't know how much one-on-one attention he's actually getting. You know, I mean, Freddie's not spending hours and hours holding pads with him. This like that may look like it on the countdown show, but I I used to live around the corner from Wildcard. Trust me, I used to walk there most days. You don't get that much attention from Freddie, no matter <laughs> what what money you've got in your pocket. He picks and chooses who he works with, um, and there's very limited benefit from him working with Tony Ferguson. So I I just I just don't know what we're going to see new from Tony. You know, I see him hitting the bag, and he's doing all kinds of weird elbows and wing chun stuff, and. It's not even good Wing Chun, and this is where I start to worry about him because he's facing someone in Benil Dariush, who's you know he's trained at a good gym. He's he's always turning corners technically. He's just as lethal and as unorthodox as uh, as Tony. He just doesn't have the same kind of risk, which means that he's uh, not nearly as exciting for the fans in you know in their mind. He doesn't get crazy and bloodied up, but 
Look at that Drakkar close fight and mm. that finish. I mean, Joe Rogan was out of his seat. <laughs> I think people are massively underestimating Benil Dariush based on who they think Tony Ferguson is now. And I don't think he's that person anymore. Yeah, I just want to go back to the thing that you said as well before when you were sort of talking about his jiu-jitsu and stuff like that. I remember when Tony, and by the way, Tony's such an exciting fighter and we have so much respect for him. He comes on the show all the time and we've got a great history with him as well as do most fans. But I remember when Tony came on the show and mentioned to us that he had only trained like a few hours of jiu-jitsu leading into that Oliveira fight because of COVID and his training camp. And then we heard about all these issues that he was having with his training camp where he was basically running his own training camp. Guys are getting fired from his corner. Guys weren't supposed to be here. Guys weren't supposed to be there. And I always got this feeling with Tony that all the Wing Chun stuff that he does, all the crazy flips, was just a cover-up to sort of get people away from what he was actually going to do in the fight. I feel like along the way, he didn't buy into some of the stuff that he was doing, but I feel like some of the structure and some of the basics and so, sort of more of the stable stuff that was going on in his game sort of disappeared. And he kind of believed a little bit more in some of the flash and the crazy magic tricks and went away from some of the stable stuff that sort of got him there in the first place. And I'm just wondering, I know you mentioned that uh, Freddie isn't really going to be working one-on-one -on -one that much with him. But do you think there could be something from having an actual training camp and some maybe some coaches a wild card and some other coaches that are keeping Tony honest that could bring back some of that Tony that we've seen in the past? I mean, you know, maybe. You know, it's, it's, I, don't, I don't mean to keep drawing similarities between him and Diego, but there are similarities in their game. You know, they're, they're both great grapplers, you know, wrestling base with good jiu-jitsu. Their striking's a bit unorthodox and a bit herky-jerky, but it, it works for them and they make it work because they're tenacious. You know, Tony Ferguson's got loads of good skills in his in his arsenal, but he can't fall into that same trap of being the just bleed guy. You know, that's what happened with Diego. You know, it was it was the crowd chanting his name and the expectation that he was going to be a a whirling mess of elbows and it was going to be a bloodbath. And, and you know, if Tony bought into that, then that's you know he's gonna he's gonna lose a bit of his game because there are times when he needs to fall back on a basic game plan. You know, we, we've been discussing it on the, on the podcast in the past few weeks, and it's become it's kind of become a become a thing in itself. But everyone needs a Glover to share a game. You know, what's what's Glover to share? He's like sixty four. He's going in for his going, <laughs> going in for the title shot. Like he's, I, I love the guy. You, you, know, you know the reason why I love him is mm. because everything he does is high percentage. Mm -hmm. There's no there's no Superman punches and spinning elbows and stuff. He does good basics. If he gets caught in a bad position and he's got and he's been hit with a big shot, he, he's back to basics: elbow, knee escape, recover half guard, dig an underhook, scramble to my knees, take top position. Now they're tired. Now I take their back. They're they're the that's the bit that some fighters they lack. They miss that. Like Tony Ferguson, instead of instead of elbow knee bumping, he's going to try and bridge over the top and waste a whole bunch of energy. And against guys like Oliveira and against um, against uh, Benil um, Benil Dariush, you just can't do that. They've got such good jiu-jitsu basics. Their basics are based on stopping people doing all that crazy, you know, the roid bridging that we see from guys that have got no basics. Like Tony Ferguson has got all the potential to be a great fighter, and and has has had great fights in the past. He's still got the potential to be a champion, maybe should I say? He needs to be a little bit more strategic about the way he's going about things, though, and apply the skills that he's got in the correct way instead of just trying to be this crazy, you know, El Kukui. You know, people 
too often try and live up to the expectations of their nicknames and the fans' perception, and they do themselves a, a disservice. You know, that's what's unusually satisfying about uh, Kamara Usman, is that he doesn't care what we think of him. You know, it'll give you 30% and you'll like it. That's what he said after the Emil Mech fight. Mm. You know, he goes in there to win. And I think Tony Ferguson needs an extra sort of 5 or 10% of that, especially at this stage in his career where he's not quite as as uh, as invincible as he was when he was younger. He needs the Glover to share a Moneyball mentality. The Moneyball of MMA. I was going to ask, Dan, did you ever feel that pressure? Because you were a guy that people would go in there and watch knock people out and put people out. Did you ever feel that pressure when you were on your run to hey, I'll be the knock-people-out guy and sort of get away from your game plan. Did you feel that going into the octagon later on? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, lo- I lost track a couple of times. You know, the the, the, the Carlos Condit fight w- was an obvious one for me. You know, I, I was I was literally just trying to knock him out with my left hook. It was it was the only thing on my mind. <laughs> um, and, you know, and then I went, when I went into the Chris Lytle fight, you know, that was, in my head, I was retiring on that night because I'd had enough of the whole sport and the nonsense behind it and the... Just the just the behind the scenes nonsense. I was I just had enough of all of it. So, like for me going into the Chris Lytle fight, my intention wasn't even really to win. I just wanted a brawl, and that that was you know you you kind of, you buy into it sometimes. I mean sometimes it's fun just to brawl. You know there's there's nothing constructive about jumping out of an aeroplane, but people still love skydiving. <laughs> sometimes you do just do things for the rush, but. Doing things for the rush and doing things for for the fans, uh, you know, they're, they're two different things, and you need to find that balance. And it's difficult when you're when you're you know, especially where Tony's at, you know, where, where his career is kind of winding down. There's a, there's a desperation that comes with that and a, a habit to cling. And, and I just hate to see Tony, you know, I mean, kind of doing a bit what Cowboys doing, you know, stepping in there against whoever because that's what I do. I just take whoever, you know, whatever fights are offered to me you're always going to get used up and spat out in that way. And that's what, what's happening to these guys now. Mm. Well, we'll let you go in a second. This is the last one for me, but uh, it, it just feels like there's a new era in the lightweight division. You know, Oliveira and Chandler, two guys that maybe a year or two ago, if you said they would be fighting for a belt or one of them would be UFC champion, you, you would never believe anything like that. You know, guys like Habib have retired. Guys like Tony are sort of, you know, seemingly on the on the downswing. Maybe Connor, same thing. You know, you, you wonder how much longer Dustin will be around for. And you got guys like, you know, Benil Darius just further sort of pushing the narrative that it's it is a new era in the division um just want to end on this one dan with benil i guess what scares you if if you're a tony fan is that in his last two fights you know against gage he took a lot of damage on the feet and then against Oliveira, he got dominated on the ground and benil kind of has both tool sets you know he can potentially dominate on the on the feet he's got a lot of knockout power but he's very very good on the ground which one do you sort of see him leaning towards and which one do you think is the bigger threat to for for tony um, well, I mean, the biggest threat for Tony, I think he's getting drowned again, like he did in his Oliveira fight, because there's, I, I think that would really be very frustrating for him, especially because he's not, you know, he's not allowing, he's not being allowed to express himself at all, you know, and that that's where a striking exchange with Benil Dariush, although it's a coin toss for both guys, at least if you come out on the worst end, you've, you've, you've had the chance to roll your dice. Um, if, if Dariush takes him down and completely drowns him with pressure again, you know, we might see a very frustrated Tony Ferguson losing a very lopsided decision. Um, but, you know, on the feet, what what I found interesting in uh, Dariush in the, in the countdown show 
is he talks about the fact that no matter what Tony does, he's got to duplicate it and triplicate it. He's got to give him more than what Tony's putting out and he's got to be damaging, you know, and that's something else that he said that stuck out to me. So I'm thinking low kicks, body shots and elbows. I think we're going to see a lot of things from Darius where he's trying to actually physically take the fight from Tony Ferguson and do as much damage as possible to slow him down. Because the one thing that won't break is Tony Ferguson's mind. You know, you've got to slow his body down in order to encourage his mind that the fight's over and he can't win it anymore. Um, but I'm, I'm fascinated by it, and I'm a big fan of Tony Ferguson as well. You know, anything I've said while we've been chatting today, <laughs> not meant it in disrespect at all, but I, I, I can be very objective sometimes, and it can seem a bit cold. But I like Tony, and I'd like to get, like him to get back on top. But I, I do think you're right. There's a shift in the lightweight division, just like there is at heavyweight at the moment. You know, when you're seeing a whole new breed of guys coming through, the the younger, lighter, faster guys that are very agile seeing the same thing at lightweight. You know, Gregor Gillespie had a great fight this weekend as well. He's someone to watch out for. We've got Islam Makachev. Everyone's avoiding him like he's got COVID. You know, like, <laughs> like there's a lot of guys in this division. Especially Brock Lesnar. Oh, yeah, especially that he won't stand a chance. You know, this, it's a great time to be a, to be an MMA fan. And uh, and I think the lightweight division is just as, uh, just as lively as it has always been, even, even though... The great Khabib has retired. I, I think he'll be missed, but I think he'll he'll certainly be uh, be replaced in in a number of months. All right. Well, there you guys go. Move over, Kevin Hart, because the real ride along begins around 4 a.m. Dan Hardy's local time during UFC 262. And if you think some of these breakdowns have been entertaining, wait till you see Dan react to things live. It's almost like he'll be back on commentary. Make sure to check that out. Of course. Follow the man on Twitter and Instagram, at Dan Hardy MMA, the YouTube Full Reptile, some of the best guys in the business. Um, the Dan Hardy Breakdown Show on BT Sports, The War Room, and of course his book, Full Reptile, which you can actually pick up here in Australia, in New Zealand, and all over the world. A great, fantastic read. Something really good to read through the winter here when you need a little bit of a pick-me-up or something to distract yourself. Dan Hardy, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking us into a new room in your house. We can't wait to see which room will be next. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll pick a new room for next time, guys. <laughs> nice, nice. Talking to you. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it, man. Time. Bye.